Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm the publisher and owner of a media company in the Hudson Valley, New York. I launched this podcast to highlight and discuss topics without fear. My aim is to have a free exchange of ideas and an open and honest discussion on the issues of the day. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman, the publisher and the host and the publisher of Halston Media. Today we have uh, two of our editors for our editorial roundup, Brian Marshauser. He's the editor of Yorktown News and the Cotonou Loose World Times. And we have Bob Dumas, editor of Mayapak News. Tom Wallagorski, he is out on his honeymoon. He is the editor of the Somers Record and North Salem News. I guess uh, I'm going to jump right over to Brian. You know, some interesting things percolating. One of them caught my attention because I'm sort of in a similar boat where I live about Con Edison's plans. Yeah, so Con Ed, which is one of the two utility companies uh, in Yorktown, they are planning to start a pilot program in which they bury some of their power lines. And it's only going to affect about 41 homeowners in the area, but it's kind of in the outskirts of town in Mohegan Lake, right on the border of Putnam Valley, Lockwood Road, Foothill Street, uh, that area. In theory, the move would make those homeowners' power supplies less vulnerable to falling trees. I've been told that these are secondary and tertiary lines as opposed to primary lines, so it, it might not prevent, you know, if the main power line comes down, which is on Strawberry Road, which is the main thoroughfare, they, you know, they still might be vulnerable to that. But in theory, it should help a little bit, at least, you know, in case there's trees falling on their road. And it's also worth noting that, and as far as I know, this is the first time this has happened in Yorktown, that these power lines are getting buried. But it's also worth noting that Con Ed, their subsidiary Con Energy Clean Energy businesses, is proposing a 15-acre uh, solar farm on Foothill Street. So whatever their motives are, I'm sure people are happy to have their power lines buried. But yeah, maybe perhaps they are protecting their interests a little bit here. You know, and this is being reviewed by the planning board right now. So it's not approved, but the property is zoned for it. So there's a good chance it goes forward. I know the planning board is concerned a little bit environmentally about it because it would clear cut about 16 acres, which would be about 1,800 trees. You're talking about the solar farm? Yes, the solar farm. So yeah, yeah so th these are two somewhat intertwined. And, and the issue that just came out on September 30th, when we're recording this, we kind of link those stories together just because I think it's, you got to provide the context to readers in the sense that whether Con Ed is doing this as part of an altruistic endeavor or as part of a uh, program to steady their infrastructure or, or is to protect their own investment, you know, this is why they're doing it. So we just wanted to provide that context of, you know, they have this solar farm as well as bearing lines. It, it, interesting. So I live in uh, Newtown, Connecticut, and uh, mm -hmm. my immediate neighborhood, all the lines are buried. And I have to say, it actually makes it a little prettier because mm -hmm. you don't, you know, you don't kind of see ugly wires going into the house. It's all, you know, it goes into the house, you know, from underground. Yeah. But we still lose power because, you know, one block away from me, they have power lines above ground. Right, so, right. You know. Exactly. Unless everything's buried, then, uh, yeah, there's always going to be some line above ground and there's going to be some sort of domino effect. And, and I think that's what you're dealing with, right? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I've asked people over the years just in, in about the towns, you know, we cover with our newspapers, you know, why don't they bury these lines? Mm -hmm. And everyone says, oh, it's too costly. 
But like, you've got to wonder, isn't it costly to lose power for a week? I mean, like, you know, well, it's interesting. Yeah, because when we're about to enter the season where everyone starts complaining about power outages, because we're going to have a lot of snowstorms probably coming up uh, in the next couple months, maybe we're starting soon. But when everyone loses power for a week, you know, they see the same comments every time. Well, why don't they bury the power lines? It's an easy solution, you know. Instead, yeah, and I get the answer that, yeah, it's pretty cost prohibitive to do that, and, and they'd rather just trim the trees, you know. Yeah, except for now in, in the year 2021, the fact that you have so many people, especially in kind of white-collar mm-hmm. jobs, working from home, their yeah. people are shit out of luck, if, you know, if they lose power for a oh, Hudson Valley Uncensored right there for you folks. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you see, it's funny. Um, it reminds me of the septic versus sewer debate too, because I, everyone's like, where I live in Mohegan Lake or on septic, and everyone's like, when are we going to get sewers? I'm like, maybe not in your lifetime. I don't know, because, you know, ideally they would like to replace all of them because they're just better for the watershed. I know New York City has given Westchester lots of grants to do this because septic systems fail. And when they fail, it affects the reservoirs and the watershed. And But yeah, it's just very, very expensive. Yorktown is bringing sewers to 315 homes. And that's costing them $14 million. You know, I scratched my head. I know this was a big debate in Somers recently. And I scratched my head. I have a septic system in my house. And you know, God forbid it fails. That's yep. like, I think it's like a $20,000 project, something like Don't that. Don't say that to me, Brett. I just bought a new home. So. <laughs> it's scary. It's definitely scary. <laughs> I would love to be connected to sewer without a doubt. I know. I know. I would gladly pay the tax every year for that peace of mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, well, maybe one day. Yeah. You've never had sewer service in Carmel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So my I moved from Carmel. I you know I was sewer and I was uh, part of the water district, and I gladly paid my taxes to that because you know I never had to worry about you know water in my house. Now like my well like I've had to have the plumber come a, a couple times. He finally showed mm-hmm. me how to how to change the filter for my water pump. It gathers a lot of sediment very quickly, and he basically said that's an indication that my well you know is kind of low. That's scary as well. Yeah. Well, I'm actually on municipal water, but septic. So it's okay. kind of interesting yeah. where I yeah. live. But yeah, my, my, my in-laws are on a well. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So I'm sorry. Let's go to a couple other items. We'll jump into Lakeland. I know you wanted to mention something about that. And then we'll maybe end on a positive note. Yeah. It just uh, it persists over in Lakeland. It's one of those things where you've been doing this. I've been doing this job for so long and these issues are very cyclical and people care about them very strongly for very short bursts of time. And then they move on to something else. In Lakeland, this issue over, and I don't even know how to frame it. I guess it's the diversity equity inclusion team in Lakeland. The opponents would say it's just CRT in disguise, critical race theory in disguise. So I, even just trying to frame the argument, people call into question your bias. But basically, this issue is not going away. Dozens of speakers continue to show up at every single meeting where there's public comment, and they badger the board with questions. I shouldn't say badger. Uh, they, they ask the board questions, and they do sometimes make requests and or demands, such as I know they really want cameras in the classroom. I don't know how possible that is, but they want to make sure their kids aren't being quote unquote brainwashed. That's what at least one speaker said. So they they just want to like watch their teachers and make sure everything's copacetic. And I think I would just break it down by saying there's just a serious distrust issue between the Lakeland School Board and the Lakeland administration. And 
a uh, part of its constituency. And it's hard to know always how, whether that's a vocal minority or if that's kind of a reflection of the community at large. It's never easy to know because I guess, you know, come school board time, school board election time, how they vote. And I know one of the major proponents of this, you know, the the anti-CRT crowd got defeated pretty soundly. So it's, you know, perhaps it's not um, as loud of a voice as, as I think it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, they come out every meeting, they do their research. They, most recent meeting, they comb through three meetings worth of meeting minutes and then watched the corresponding school board meetings and they, they looked for any inconsistencies. And sure enough, they were disheartened to find out that a lot of the discussion that they brought to the table, a petition they filed. None of this was ever mentioned in the meeting minutes. And during the public comment portion in the past, Lakeland has noted the name of every speaker and kind of the main topics. Now they're no longer doing that. They're just directing people to click a link to watch the meeting. So now they're saying, oh, you know, you're, you're kind of just scrubbing our comments from the meeting minutes. You know, you're pretending this issue doesn't exist. And even in the case of Superintendent Dr. Lyons over in Lakeland, in one of the meeting minute packets, it contained this 300 word kind of rebuttal to this movement that he never said at a meeting. So people were saying, well, what is this thing doing in the meeting minutes? And he explained it to us, or I should say his communications director explained to us that those were the notes he prepared. Those are what he gave to the person who prepares the minutes. He he kind of did not read them verbatim at the meeting. And Lakeland basically said, you know, we're not required to provide transcripts to meetings. Public bodies are required to do meeting minutes, but not, not required to do transcripts. And we're not even really required to do videos, but we do it anyway. So that was kind of their response. So, so, so Brian, I'm, I'm going to compliment you here. So you, you and I, you know, we've had some discussions offline about yeah. the idea of critical race theory and, and also diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I've shared my thoughts with you. And the, where I have to admire you is that you take your mission of local very seriously, because I kind of followed these debates on a national level. And you've really, anytime I've had a conversation with you, you've really said, you know, but your mission is local. So you're evaluating people, not necessarily based on, you know, these national arguments, but you're kind of evaluating people based on their behavior locally and um, perhaps how they treat people. I know um, we've gotten some, mm-hmm. some angry emails complaining that we're on one side of the debate. And I don't think yeah. you are. I, I don't think Yorktown News is. I don't think you know any of our papers are. I do think that you know we do a good job of sort of covering it from a real hyper-local perspective. And you know, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't well, want to talk about that. Well, here's the thing is, is I face this conundrum often too about how often we cover this. Because if it's at every meeting and they're saying things that are very similar every time, how do you continue to cover that? And obviously, if they have 15 speakers who are saying similar like-minded things, you know, we're not going to quote all 15 people. That would just be redundant. That would be a bad news story. It becomes a challenging thing to cover when it's kind of redundant at this point in that it doesn't look like Lakeland is going to scale back its, you know, DEI initiatives in response to this. And it doesn't look like these community members are giving up their fight. So it's just kind of, I don't know where we go from here. We're just kind of going around in a circle. But, you know, at the latest meeting, they brought something to the table that I thought was new and newsworthy. And, you know, we wrote about it in the, in the meeting, about the meeting minutes, because, you know, I watched that and I said, you know, that is a little strange. It did strike me as strange that they had a kind of an essay from Dr. Lyons 
that he never said in the meeting minutes about this movement. And that's in, in my years of covering. Now, can you um, clarify this? So he is in favor of or, uh, the diversity, equity, inclusion? Yes, he, he, he's a big supporter of the DEI initiative and he's defended it. You know, um, when at these meetings, he just kind of sits there and people say, Sometimes personal things, sometimes over the line things. And he just kind of sits there and takes the beating. Uh, he doesn't really take the bait a lot, doesn't really go tit for tat. But, you know, when it's his time to speak, he will kind of defend it and not really respond to individual comments. So in this case, you know, I guess one of those defenses, I'm hesitant to call it a defense because, you know, it's all, it's all about language here. I'm not because he doesn't in his mind, he probably doesn't have to defend anything. He, he's supporting it and promoting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in one of his promotions of this, you know, like I said, he didn't read it at the meeting, but it was in the minutes. So I think people had an issue with that. It did come across a little strange to me. And that's why I had a reporter, Nick Trujillo, follow up on it. Because, you know, I've covered meetings for many years and I've, you know, meeting minutes are, yeah, they're not transcripts, but they're like, this person said that, this person said that. They're kind of paraphrasing what was said and who did what. You know, it's kind of a rundown of what happened. You know, what well, well, I would, you know, like to find out, and again, I, uh, I'm i sorry to bring this back to kind of the larger philosophical national conversation here, yeah. but I, I want to find out how equity is different from equality. Because why is everyone talking about equity? If you circle um, back to me later... After yep. Bob speaks, I can pull up for you Lakeland's. Uh, they do have quite a bit of information available, and I could at least tell you how they define it properly. Okay, All so right. I, I can I can probably do that for you. I would love to know how they define it because I have my concerns about equity versus equality. And so, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, and then I know, uh, you know, real quick, uh, I know you wanted to give a plug, kind of a congratulations to an anniversary going on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick, quick, just because I want to let uh, Bob do his thing. Yeah, I know yeah. he's probably got a lot to talk about, but Support Connection, which is just one of the best organizations around, uh, they're this smallish charity with less than 10 employees and an army of volunteers. They've been around for 25 years now. They're celebrating their 25th year in existence. And what they do is they, it's a little different. You know, it's not the American Cancer Society here. You're not donating to cancer research. What they do is they provide support services to people who are diagnosed with breast and ovarian cancer. So it's mainly women. Some They also do provide support to husbands and spouses of mm-hmm. people who have been diagnosed with breast and ovarian cancer. So it's a crucial needed service because when people are diagnosed with these horrible diseases, it's incredibly scary. And to have somebody to reach out to, they have peer counselors provided free of charge who have all been diagnosed with the disease themselves. They help them through the process. They guide them through the process. And they're nationwide. They're not just local. They have a toll-free hotline and they take calls from all over the world, believe it or not. They used to have a support a walk where they would meet every year at FDR Park in New Yorktown Heights. Last year, they kind of moved it virtual. They're sticking with that this year. I know they're going to have a small gathering at FDR Park. And well, as you're listening to this, this already happened on Sunday, October 3rd, I believe it is. Yeah, this year. So, you know, walk with us wherever you are is the slogan this year. So sure. just, you know. Now, obviously, an organization like that, they have to be careful because you know, people are vulnerable. Of course. that's. Yeah. I think that's yeah. part of the motivation to not have a large gathering is that, yeah. you know, obviously a lot of people attending the vulnerable population, as, as you put it, you don't want to put them in any unnecessary risk. So as much as I think everyone would like to see each other and gather and have a very beautiful, supportive, 
ceremony at FDR Park. Maybe we wait another year and see, take it from there. But yeah, I would like to just say that, you know, Halston Media, our, our, our company that owns our newspapers here, we are a big supporter of Support Connection. We, uh, we donate ads every year to their walk. And I have to also say just the, the people I interact with over at the organization are just the nicest people ever, just really supportive of our newspapers and, you know, always very appreciative of our ad Kathy doing. Quinn. Yeah, yep. sorry. Kathy yep. Quinn, the executive director and Barbara Cervoni, the communications director over there. They're just wonderful people, incredibly easy to deal with. Kathy is just the nicest person. And I know like these people don't get rich doing what they do. I know Kathy's been doing it for since the beginning now. She's been the only executive director Sport Connections ever known. She's really dedicated herself to this and uh, she deserves a shout out. She's wonderful. Absolutely. So, uh, Brian, thank you for sharing that. And uh, Bob, I'm, I'm going to jump over to you. I know there's some, you know, bunch of things going on. Um, you know, we're recording this on September 30th, so some things are, you know, going to be in the past when people hear this. But I know it kind of it's exciting to, you know, talk about some of the things that really, you know, after a year hiatus with some of the stuff, it's nice to see some things. Are, yeah, things are coming back. Yeah, yeah. and uh, like you said, uh, as we're recording this, uh, some of them haven't happened yet. But by the time people hear it, they will have. But I'll get to that in a second. The one of the things I wanted to talk about that I forgot to mention earlier is in next week's paper, or I guess I should say this week's paper, we'll be having a profile of a gentleman, a a Carmel resident who has a business called USA Drains that works in the Mayapak Carmel area. And he, um, his name is Joe Cunningham, and he has developed this app that is kind of cool. He dropped out of college and started his business when he was 21. And initially it failed. And he said the main reason it failed was it was a um, an excavation business that did drainage and septic and they did plumbing work and things like that. Was he had a hard time marketing and getting himself jobs. He said the existing things like Yelp and Google and other things, they charge you like 25 bucks a pop. And he said, by the time you answer it, the job had been taken up already. So he would spend hundreds of dollars a week on these marketing tools and get no jobs from them. So he brainstormed and he came up with this idea for a, an app called Got Work. And what it does is if you're a homeowner, you sign on to it. And if you have a job like you want your lawn mowed or you want a deck rebuilt, you kind of take pictures and you put it up there with your little thing. All the contractors sign on to it too, and they have keywords. So if lawnmower is one of your keywords, it'll initially ding you. And it brings the contractor and the customer together free of charge. He'll make money down the road with banner advertising on it and things like that. But right now, there's nothing really out there like this that will customize the customer and the contractor together and they can meet and talk. And if the customer wants to keep going and look for more, he can keep going. But it's a way for contractors to find work immediately at no charge to them. So we're going to do a profile about Joe and his app in in our next issue. So I think that was kind of cool invention. I always like stories like that. Yeah, Um, I I think the innovation happening, especially like during this pandemic, you know, a lot of things are changing for the better. I mean, Bob, I know you discovered this yourself with some of the health challenges you've had. I know with Instacart and oh yeah, and and likewise. My wife had COVID and um, I was also in quarantine. I never got it. This was a little over a month ago now. And I was like, well, you know, how am I going to feed the family here? You know, yeah. so, you know, I tried Instacart for the first time. It was awesome. You know, so yep, yep. 
DoorDash, you know, we use that frequently. It really is amazing. Yeah. I mean, these, yeah. these apps are incredible. I use, I use Grubhub. Yeah, well, as people, you know, we've talked extensively about my health problems. And basically, because of my foot surgery, I'm trapped in my apartment in a wheelchair. So I use Instacart to have my groceries delivered from Topps Market. It's been kind of fun learning process. And I don't know what I would have done without it. And you know, I use Grubhub a lot to get deliveries from local restaurants when I want some hot food and I, you know, I can't cook a lot these days. So that's come in handy. So yeah, you know, I can appreciate the internet and what it's delivering to my life right now. So just like you mentioned before, like things coming back in the wake of the pandemic and a couple of the big ticket items that were canceled last year were the Mayapak, Carmel Chamber of Commerce's annual street fair. Now, as we speak, that hasn't happened yet, but by the time this podcast hits the airwaves, it will have. And so I just want to promise everybody you'll see lots of cool photos in the paper from that, as well as another event that came back this year that we're excited about and it just took place this last weekend is something they call the Tiathlon, which is a fundraiser for the Ty Lewis Campbell Foundation, which raises money for research for childhood cancer. And every year, except last year, they have this thing called triathlon, which is a play on the word triathlon, where people come from all around. I mean, it's not just Mayapakian. It's people from all over the tri-state area come up to Lake Mayapak for this event where there's uh, swimming, running, and biking, just like a triathlon. People pay an entry fee to get in and all the money goes towards the Ty Campbell Foundation. So Tabby Pearson-Marshall, our photographer, was out that. We got a lot of amazing photos that'll show up in an upcoming Mayapak News edition. So those are two things that are coming back that we're excited about. I know, I know you also, Mayapak also hosted the police prayer march, right? Yes. So... By the time this comes out, I should say it's in last week's edition. We had tons. Uh, the uh, event, Back to Blue Police Prayer March, was created last year in the wake of George Floyd. Um, in the wake of that, there was a lot of anti-police sentiment and protests, Black Lives Matter and all that. And here in Mayapak, a woman named Mary Ann Chalusian and some of her friends put together this prayer walk to support law enforcement. And when they had it last year, they had over a thousand people attend. They did it this year. They had about three or 400 people because it conflicted with a whole bunch of other things they didn't realize was going on that day. But it was still a great turnout, especially for the number of marchers that took place. And, you know, we'll have lots of photos. Well, it's on the front page of, of uh, the current Mayapak News. Tell, tell me if I'm wrong, Bob, but mm-hmm. it seems that this group has done a really good job of not making this a partisan event. It seems to attract people who are not necessarily looking to make a statement, but they're just looking to, I mean, their statement simply, we, you know, we support the police, but I mean, I know they've expanded to nurses. I think we're part of um, Right. This year it was expanded to frontline workers to include uh, nurses, doctors, you know, uh, EMTs, firemen, you know, first responders. (laughs) Even grocery store workers, people on the front line were included. Um, I'd like to say it's not a partisan event, but sometimes it has the whiff of one, you know, based on the signs you see in the crowd. But mostly people are just there to show their support for police, you know. 
this year the signs weren't as partisan as they were last year when it was more at a fever pitch. I interviewed Chief Hoffman of the Carmel Police Department and Sheriff Langley, Putnam County Sheriff, about this event. And they both were over the moon about them. It says it really helps to boost morale in their agencies, and they really appreciate the show of support. So on a lighter note, I think there's one thing that Republicans and Democrats can all agree on, and that is that Halloween is a really fun holiday. (laughs) Yes, and there'll be tons of Halloween stuff coming up uh, in future issues. You know, there'll be trunk or treats. The Girl Scouts always do something fun. So we'll be all over that. But the big thing that'll be coming up, and I've been getting emails from Dominic Capolini, who lives on Manpac Point, and every year he and his family have put together this haunted house on their front lawn. And while it kind of sounds cheesy, it's really not. The work they put into this is staggering. Like, Halloween's still 30 days away, and I'm getting emails that they've already started building and putting it together. It's called Psycho Circus, so they have lots of like insane clowns. <laughs> they have animatronics, so they have actors. You go to it, it's free. They put it on, and they draw a big crowd every year, and it's amazing. And we cover it. We get lots of photographs from them because they're really cool, the work that they do between Dominic and his dad and all their helpers that put together. And it's growing exponentially each year, you know? So this year, it's going to be bigger and better than ever. So keep an eye on the paper. We'll be talking about that and other Halloween stuff, Yeah. Before I circle back to Brian, I do want to uh, just uh, highlight a couple of things going on in uh, North Salem and Somers. I, in North Salem, they had a big meeting, you know, kind of a master plan for Croton Falls. So they kind of got the town together just to, to talk about Croton Falls and what direction they want to take that hamlet. Croton Falls is kind of a little hamlet in the town of North Salem. It's really, you know, a cute little hamlet. Um, it has the train station that goes right, you know, that's sort of the, the center of, of it all. A lot of little shops and stores. And I guess the surrounding neighbor. Uh, homes as well are, is part of that hamlet. So they're kind of discussing, you know, how to, you know, just bring it, maybe, you know, make some improvements, bring it up to date, but, uh, you know, definitely a cute little part of the town. So, you know, we're going to have, uh, you know, a story coming up, I guess, in the week that this uh, podcast hits. In Somers, they just finished their big event, Celebrate Somers. They went on hiatus for one year. It was very successful. Um, I was actually away for, at a New York Press Association conference, but my parents who live in Heritage Hills, they took my kids to Celebrate Somers. They all had a great time. you know. So we always cover that. We were a sponsor of it as well. And then uh, the other big thing, just uh, to urge our Somers listeners, they can give some input on their cellular service in the town of Somers. The Somers is really trying to get proactive. Um, apparently, I guess it's really difficult legally from a legal standpoint for uh, our towns to reject cell phone towers. They have to have you know a really good reason why they turn it down. And it can't so, be health-related either. You can't yeah, make that argument. Correct. I mean, legally, they're not allowed to do that because, I guess, of uh, certain federal rules. And so um, what the town of Somers is instead doing is they're trying to identify where in the town they really need it, where in the town would it not infuriate people, and then try to proactively invite some of these companies in to build out so that you know it could be a little bit less of a contentious process. Um, so there is a poll. Take it to uh, they have until October thirteenth, and they just go on the town's website. You can go on to tap into somers.net, and we link to we have an article about it, and we link to uh, the town's website on that article. So uh, Brian, I'm going to circle back to you. 
you know, I know you're going to do a little research on the uh, Lakeland Diversity, Equity, Inclusion. Um, yeah, DEI, statement. Diversity, yep. Equity, Inclusion. So, uh, yeah, you hear all those words come together and you say, oh, that sounds great. But yeah, so I, I know that you had a question about what equity meant. So Lakeland does have their own definitions, which I'll get to in a second, but they also referred back to the New York State Board of Regents uh, and their culturally responsive framework, which is funny because they're trying to differentiate themselves from critical race theory, yet they choose the same acronym of culturally <laughs> responsive teaching. I don't know. <laughs> I just found that funny. Um, uh, so equity, they define as the guarantee of fair treatment, access, opportunity, and advancement for all while striving to identify and eliminate barriers that have prevented the full participation of all groups. The principle of equity acknowledged that there are historically underserved and underrepresented populations and that fairness regarding these unbalanced conditions is needed to assist equality in the provision of effective opportunities to all groups. At its core, equity retains that we create the opportunity for all students to succeed and thrive in school, no matter who they are, where they live, where they go to school, or where they come from. So that's from the State Board of Regents. Uh, Lakeland this year approved its own, every year they approve like board goals, board missions. This year they did equity as one of their goals. And they just, they defined it as uh, continuing to support a safe, welcoming and inclusive climate with a strong emphasis on anti-racism, anti-bias, anti-bullying, character education, civic engagement, student leadership and family engagement. Um, and further they, in their mission statement, our mission is to foster equity and inclusion within our Lake diverse Lakeland community by identifying and acknowledging inequities, building a stronger district where all voices are valued and welcomed, creating a culture and learning environment that accepts and celebrates diversity and preparing students to be global citizens of an interconnected society. So Look, Lakeland, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I agree with you. Look, all this sounds, sounds good. My fear is that, you know, a, how do you bring this about in practice? And how do you, while bringing right. it about in practice, how do you prevent perhaps reverse discrimination? And B, my other fear is that anyone who might have some problems or concerns about it, you know, labeling them as racist, that I think could be kind of detrimental to kind of free speech and being able to opine openly about this. You know, Brian, again, I, I want to bring it back to the fact that I admire the fact that you really try to keep it, your focus local and what the local residents are saying rather than bring it on a national level. Sure. And I think those are valid talking points if you want to have a dialogue or debate about this. I don't necessarily know that you know, sometimes it does get frustrating covering Lakeland board meetings and the tenor and tone and the way they address the school board and the administration, I think, is a little off-putting sometimes. But just on the other hand, you know, I think like in some ways, I think people are kind of addicted to this fight. You know, like I, I log on to Facebook and I'm part of these dueling groups that have dueling philosophies and both get very excited every time, you know, they screenshot what the other group said and then they all pile on and... It seems to like be kind of entertainment in a way, which troubles me. But I think because these are like kind of important topics that I wish we could debate in a more civil manner than what we've been seeing. You know, I don't think you're a monster if you hear that definition and have questions. But, you know, I think that's fair. But I, I don't know. I just think there needs to be a better way that we can talk about this. But I, 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 I have some thoughts about a better way. So sorry, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll just continue the conversation briefly. A couple of things. A, um, you know, I was actually part of an, at my church at Lakeview Community Church in Carmel. You know, uh, a year ago, about the pastor created something called, I think he called it Chesed 
something or other. Um, and Chesed is Hebrew for beloved. And basically, it was an acknowledgement that there are differences of opinion in our church about topics such as race. And it was a conversation on race. But, you know, the most primary thing is that, you know, within our church community, we love one another because our attachment is kind of a family based on our commitment to God. You know, not to bring a religious element into this conversation, but so we sat down. It was a small group of about a dozen of us, and we all had really... It was a very, very uh, diverse opinions within this dozen people, but you know everyone spoke respectfully. Nobody talked over one another. You know there were some hard feelings that one person expressed about. I don't, I don't want to get too into a private conversation, but there were, you know, there are definitely some hard feelings. But people shared that. People also shared why, and I know I can actually state this. My mom was part of this group, and um, you know I know she'd be open about this. You know, why the American flag, for instance, might represent one thing to certain groups of people in their country versus another. You know, the fact that my great grandparents came over to America, they went, you know, through Ellis Island, saw the Statue of Liberty, and to them, the American flag represents freedom. And we kind of acknowledge also the flag also does represent this history as well of our country. And, we, you know, we have a dark past as well in terms of our history. So we need to acknowledge that, you know, there's some pain, pain as well in our history that other groups in our country um, feel as well. So, you know, and so we talked a little bit about that. I'd love to start seeing people talk a little bit, you know, just about where they're coming from and just understand that, you know, people do come at these from different directions and in a, uh, with good intentions. So. Yeah. um, I mean, and I'll, uh, I think I've, kind of mentioned this what i'm about to say before but i think part of the problem stems from that there are people when the world isn't exactly the way they want it to be when they can't get other people to see their point of view and when they feel like they're in the minority and they feel that they're right and that could be a very frustrating thing and they just kind of refuse to accept the reality of the situation i interviewed tracy norman who was principal of george washington back in 2013 shortly after the sandy hook murders and Tracy Norman isn't just the principal. He's a lieutenant colonel in the New Jersey National Guard. He was deployed to Iraq in 2004. And so, you know, whenever I think, hear these debates, I think back to that day when Tracy Norman told me this, you know, obviously it was put some context before his quote. This is right after Sandy Hook and schools were now locked down. You know, you had layers of security systems, you had buzzer systems, you have armed police officers now. And to him, it felt more like a maximum security prison than a school. It didn't have the same welcoming environment it used to. I think some people didn't like it. I know he wasn't the biggest fan of it either, but he said, you know, I respect those that choose to rally and debate things that they don't agree with. I have blood on my hands to preserve their right to do that. But I think while those things are happening, you still have to learn how to navigate this environment. If you don't feel that schools should have buzzer systems or be locked down, okay, that's your right. But in the meantime, they have buzzer systems and they're going to be locked down. Focus your mind on learning how to navigate that environment. And I think that's such great advice because you can debate these things civilly and replace buzzer systems with mask mandates or replace buzzer systems with DEI. And you may not like it, but that's our reality. So learn how to navigate it. You can continue to protest and debate, but learn how to navigate this environment. I think that's very crucial for people. Yeah, Brian, I think that's a great point. And, and frankly, again, I, I think the language that DEI uses that you read, it sounds positive. I have my personal concerns about it, but I think there's a way to navigate within that language and say, okay, well, you know, if this is what we're trying to achieve, you know, how do we then achieve it 
in a way that doesn't harm anybody. And for people to kind of be vigilant, you know, holding people accountable for that. I, I, I agree with you completely, Brian. I, I think that's I think that's an important point. One of my favorite authors is Chuck Klosterman, and he wrote up a, a bunch of short stories. Uh, last year, and one of them had to was involved this co- older college professor teaching to these younger college students, and he kind of said something that was off color, and they you know called him out on it, and he's like stood his ground and said no, no, no. But you know they they kind of then he was talking to a colleague afterward, and he's like you know can you believe these kids and blah blah, blah. And, you know he's like is this just the way things are now? And he goes yep, that's it. You have to kind of adapt. That's you know unfortunately it's if things aren't the way you want them to be, then just you have to learn how to navigate that environment. Unfortunately. Very, very interesting. I, we, I know we can go on forever. Uh, <laughs> I know everyone's busy and has uh, some work to do. So uh, appreciate both of your times and, and uh, have a great rest of your week. All right. Thanks, Brett. Thank Thanks you. Thank you.